A quick review for some of you that may not have been here the last couple of weeks. Very quick review. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And in looking at that story, really the focus was to discover that as Jesus was telling this woman, and it doesn't matter who the person is, in this case it was a Samaritan woman who the Jews and the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with one another. The Jews thought they were worthless dogs. And Jesus is sharing with her, and, and the point of his message was, you know, if you really knew who I was, I am the only thing that can quench your thirst. He declared that I am the living water. I am the water that gives life. Nothing else that you take. And, and we talked about how I believe that God has created in every single one of us, it's part of who we are, this, this unquenchable thirst for something. But the world doesn't know what it is. I didn't know what it was. So we go looking for something to fill that need in our life, that, that unquenchable thirst, something. Whether we turn to all kinds of vices, uh, material goods, it doesn't matter. And Jesus is saying, none of that will work anyway. I am the living water. When you drink of me, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's like a well of living water rising up in you, continually refreshing us as we stay focused on him, the living water. And then last week, we took it beyond that experience where we discover our salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what that living water is. That personal salvation, that personal choice that each one of us have to make for ourselves. That's really based on some simple truths. One, I have to acknowledge I'm a sinner. That's easy for some, harder for others. And that we need a Savior and can't save ourselves. So as we looked into uh, Philippians last week, We looked at Paul taking it beyond that, that salvation, beyond the living water, acknowledging that Jesus Christ, yes, he is the Lord and Savior. He's the only one that can get us in the race. And Paul uses an analogy, that metaphor of a race. And he says, you know, pursue the prize. Put all your effort, focus, energy into striving for, strive for this, strive for the imperishable prize of eternal life. Christ-likeness. And as we looked at Paul's exhortation to the Philippian church and also to us, he's encouraged him to lay hold of that thing that God laid hold of us for in Christ Jesus. That gives it a whole new significance. What did God lay hold of us for when he called us, drew us, wooed us by his spirit? To become like Christ. Become more and more like Christ every day. That's the goal. That's the prize. And they're the same thing. The prize and the goal, they're the same thing. To press in. That living water, salvation is, we can't earn it. We can't do anything. We can't work for it. It's a gift, a grace gift. We receive it by faith. But now he's saying, all right, you've received that that grace gift by faith. Now it's time to pursue Christ-likeness. And again, it's all by grace. We can't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit's got to lead us, guide us, and impart this to us. But Paul's saying, basically, don't be satisfied wherever you're at in your spiritual walk because you aren't there yet. And he gave the best example he could, himself. If you remember in the scripture, he said, talk about being a Jew's Jew, I'm it. I've done it all. As far as the law is concerned, I was as, I was as perfect as you can be. And when it came to standing up for my religion, I was persecuting Christians like crazy, believing that that's what God wanted me to do. I was zealous in my faith. And then he says, I count all that stuff as dung, rubbish, garbage, worthless. What for? Why does he count it as worthless? Because he understands the prize. 
So last week we were focused on continuing to walk out this call that God has on us life, our lives. That thing that he called us for, to become more and more like Christ, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And then we need the understanding that it is a goal that's out there, but we're never going to get there until we go home to glory. But we're not supposed to ever quit trying to get there, doing everything we can. And these, our strength comes from the grace of God. So this week we're going to go in a little bit different direction, but I think carrying on the, the, the process. We're going to look at a primary mandate that God uh, was given by Jesus himself to us in the word of God. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, it says this, and you're all familiar with these words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We get saved. We receive the living water by grace through faith. We're to pursue the Christian life, become transformed into the image of Christ, be renewed by the washing of the word. We're that new creature in Christ. And he says, all of that is so awesome and wonderful. Now go do something. Share it with everybody else. We're going to show you a video. It's a little bit longer than the ones I usually show, but I want to show you this video. Uh, It's got two guys in it named Tommy Woodard and Eddie James. Uh, You've seen them before many times. You might not have ever known their name. Uh, They're the skit guys. Evangelism is not for the weak, all right? I should know. I wrote a whole book about it, self-published. Most Christians, they are just good for bake sales and potluck dinners. But I'm telling you this right now. It takes a lot of moxie to grab a non-believer. During the services, I remember praying for him and just asking God to please reach out and touch his heart or do something because I knew he needed Jesus. And then um, God answered my prayers. That night changed my life, September 17th, 1987. It changed my life because I realized I needed a Savior. Evangelism's a... Evangelism's a amazing word. You say it and people start sweating. They get worried. Go ahead and put that first slide up there. Oh no, not evangelism. We have these ideas and pictures conjured up in my mi- our mind, our prejudices in our mind, what it's supposed to look like and what we have to do, and, and it doesn't take very long till fear usually sits in. And we run from it. You know, it, it shouldn't be like that. Jesus commands us to go into the world, make disciples. And the interesting thing about the commands of the word, if we understand it as a Christian, the commands in the Bible are good for us. They bring blessing in our life. So if he commands us to go and make disciples, and not to be selfish, but that means there's in it something in it for me too. Blessing. I get to see God use me to reach someone else and let him change their life. And we make it so complicated. And I, I'm not up here today to knock down any evangelism programs or any evangelism outreach or your, your favorite way of evangelizing. I'm not saying that. What I want us to do today is we're going to look into the Word and see if we can't come up with what a very simple, simple way of evangelizing that everyone can do without becoming scared, freaked out, weird, sweaty, obnoxious, and all those other things we 
tend to become sometimes. Um, why is it that evangelism is one of a Christian's greatest fear? Now, you might be sitting out there thinking, I'm not afraid to evangelize, but you know what? If we tried to organize an evangelism outreach, it would be slightly bigger than a prayer meeting, but that's about the only meeting it'd be bigger than. And that's a sad state too, isn't it? Prayer and evangelism. We're afraid of it. It shouldn't be that way. You know, we come up with all kinds of excuses. You know, I'm not, I don't know enough yet. I don't know enough yet. I'm not smart enough. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Then what do I do? Um, it's not my personality. I'm just not good at that. I, I, I can't just talk to people like that. Um, that's not my spiritual gift. There's a great out. I know there's a gift of evangelism. That's not me there. I don't have to do that. Uh, maybe you even pull the trump card and say, that's Pastor Mike's job and Pastor Bob's job. They're the ones that are supposed to talk to people about Jesus. They get paid the big bucks to do that, so I can just pass it off to them. Well, all of those excuses are crazy. And the proof of that, if I needed some proof of that, if I looked around this crowd, I could pick out some of the people that have brought other people into the church to know Christ. And more often than not, you know what? They've been saved less than a year. They're the best evangelists we've got. They don't know it. They don't even know they're doing it. They don't even know it's called evangelism. They've just experienced a personal contact with Jesus Christ. He's changed their life. And he, they, they are so excited about what Jesus is doing in their life, they've got to go tell somebody. And they go and tell somebody who's in a similar situation maybe to theirs, hurting, emotional pain, physical pain, financial problems, relationship issues, drugs and alcohol addiction. And they go and say, you know what? You've got to come to this thing. There's this person you need to meet. And they, may don't, they don't use those words probably, but they bring them. And it's like those two guys. You know what? I came for the pizza. And the other guy's like, I don't know what to say, Lord, but please change their heart. And God does his thing. That's what we're going to focus on in, in, in Gospel of John today, uh, in chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 35 and we'll work our way through 49, probably. And I want to encourage us to look at this. And even as I'm doing that, I want to give you an assignment of sorts. Start thinking of people that you know, in your own mind, family, friends, spouses, that need to experience a, a, a personal, intimate experience with Christ. That's your assignment. Pretty simple assignment. As we're going to look through this, I, I, I call it, and it, I, I'm really creative with this title, Come and See Evangelism. You know how I came up with it? This section of Scripture says it about six times. Come and see evangelism. And we're going to see how painless and natural it is, or should be, in each one of our lives. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 35. A little bit of background, but not much. John the Baptist has been the forerunner of Christ. He's been preaching repentance. He's been baptizing people like crazy. Finally, one day, Jesus comes to him. And John recognizes, I, I shouldn't, I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals, much less baptize you. You should baptize me, Lord. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. The scripture would be fulfilled. And Jesus is baptized and, and uh, heaven opens up. The dove comes and, 
And we hear this voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this has all just taken place. It's really fresh in their mind. And then in verse 35, it says, And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist now. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now try to get this picture in your mind. It really helps for me to understand. If I can just get an image. Wherever they're at, they're somewhere east of the Jordan River. The Bible tells us that. And John the Baptist is there, and he's with two of his followers. When it says his disciples, they're followers of John the Baptist. And we're to discover who one of them is in a moment, Andrew. And the other one, quite probably, is John, the writer of the gospel. But they're just standing there. Maybe they just finished breakfast, whatever. And they're standing there visiting. And as they're standing there, John the Baptist looks over. And there he sees Jesus, who he baptized just before. And when he sees Jesus, it's almost as if he's speaking to himself. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. That's all he said. Behold the Lamb of God. And then it says his two disciples who were standing beside him heard what he said. Behold the Lamb of God. And, and you can imagine their eyes then being transfixed on Jesus. And probably recognizing him from the day before when he came and was baptized. And they heard this voice from heaven declaring this is his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. John the Baptist was human. And like most human beings, he would have human emotions, human feelings. But the interesting thing here is, John the Baptist had been drawing these big crowds, and here he had his own group of disciples. But yet, as soon as he saw and said, Behold the Lamb of God, he, he knew, there he is. I have to decrease, really, I'm nothing. This is the Lamb of God. And right away, he releases these two disciples. His followers. He's not going to hang on to them. They're not his to hang on to. He understands that. So he takes his two followers who evidently he knew quite well. They were still there with him. And he, he releases them. Intimate evangelism. Relationship evangelism. John the Baptist basically saying, there he is. Follow him. And it says the two disciples heard him and they followed Jesus. And then in verse 38, it continues. Keep the picture in your mind. This is a true story. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus was walking, and the two men start following him. And it says, Jesus turned, and he beheld them following him, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. When Jesus looks at them, he asks them a very pertinent question. It would seem kind of like an obvious question if you're walking along alone, and all of a sudden you see these two guys following you. Hey, what do you want? What do you seek? And it's interesting if you study that word, seek, 
It doesn't mean just a gentle glance. What are you kind of looking for? It's what do you seek? What are you intently with your eyes wide open trying to understand and comprehend? What are you trying to seek? What do you seek? And it's interesting that he would ask that of these two Jewish men, Andrew and whoever the other one really is, because the Jews had been seeking the Messiah for thousands of years. But what were they seeking in a Messiah? They were seeking a deliverer in the natural. They were seeking somebody who would come and be the king or the general and lead them into victory over the Romans and they would be set free and they would be a free people, free to worship the way they wanted to, free of the the persecution. And Jesus looks at them and says, what do you seek? As if he's saying to them, are you still looking for that natural deliverer? Are you seeking more than that? He wants to know, what kind of Messiah are you looking for? That's a good question for us to ask ourselves, even even when we consider who Christ is. What is it we are looking for? What is it an unbeliever is looking for? Because most of the time we need to understand this, they don't know. I didn't know. We think we know. We're looking for some sort of relief to whatever our problem is. A silver bullet would be good. A magic pill would be great. I need, I need a, a Jesus, a Messiah, who's going to save my marriage, who's going to get me out of this financial hole. Whatever it is, what, you, what kind of Messiah are you looking for? And he's asking them, are you looking for someone to just deliver you from the natural mess you're in, or do you really realize what kind of Messiah you need? Are we truly seeking relationship with Jesus? And the disciples' answer is interesting. He asks them, what are you looking for? And they ask, where are you staying? Well, you know how sometimes when you're in a conversation with somebody and what you say isn't really what you mean and the other person knows what you're saying really isn't what you mean. So you're kind of communicating, but it's not in the words you're actually speaking. I think that's exactly what's taking place here. Well, obviously Jesus knows what's going on, right? But he says to them, what do you seek? And they say to him, where are you staying? I believe what they're saying to is, we want to get to know you better. We want to know what it is you have to offer, what it is that you're teaching. We want to know who you are. We want to, we want to discover and to start to develop some kind of relationship with you. Well, Rabbi, where are you staying? They wanted to spend time with Jesus. They wanted to get to know him better. So when Jesus hears that response, it's a sincere response. It's not just somebody who, God, that was really cool yesterday when we heard that voice from somewhere say, you're my beloved son. Was what was that? You know, they're not just there curious. Jesus realizes, yeah, these, these guys are serious. They want to know more. They want to spend time with me. And notice what his response was. Come and see. That's it. Come and see. And it's not come and Maybe you'll see. It's come and see and you will know. Come to Jesus, check him out, and it's going to become obvious to you who I am. His response, come and see. Take that long look, not a casual glance. Really study, carefully analyze. Come and see who I am. Now, I'm a black and white kind of guy, so I really like that. You know, one of those pet peeves is when somebody throws the phrase blind faith out there. 
Maybe that's my science background. I don't know. Blind faith. You know, if you've got blind faith, you're a fool. Because it can change just like that. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it. That's why I love it when Jesus says, come and see and you will know. Come and check it out. Give it the most thorough investigation you possibly can. Follow me. Travel with me. Eat with me. Sit around the campfire with me. Let's talk. Read my word. Spend time in prayer. Come on. Check it out. See and you'll know. We don't have to ever, ever be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. It's the most powerful teaching there ever was or ever will be, and it's just flat out simple. We just tend to complicate it. And then we get all worried and bothered when someone starts talking about, ah, you Christians, you just believe anything. Well, no, we don't. Come and check it out. Come and see. And it gives us open invitation. Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see about discipleship. Come and see about a relationship. Come and see, uh, and, and let's open your eyes. Let's open your heart. Come and see and, and witness a transformation that will take place once you discover who I really am. Jesus says, just come and check it out. Come and see. It says, they then said, all right, that's great, good enough for me. They followed him, stayed with him, visited with him, talked with him. It had been great to have that whole conversation. But we don't. But it began to transform their lives. And a lot of times when you read in the Gospels, you read about when they're out fishing and Jesus comes to their boat and says, ah, just leave everything and follow me. And we think, wow, that's amazing. That wasn't the first time they met Jesus. We're going to look at the first time they met Jesus as far as we can tell in Scripture. They're starting to be transformed. In verse 40, it continues on. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, when I read that the first time, I thought, gee, what a way to be known. Hi, I'm Mike, Bill's brother. (laughs) No reflection on Bill. That sounds bad. (laughs) But I mean... I mean, how would Bill like to be known? Oh, you're Bill, Mike's brother. That's your claim to fame. I, you know, I, my claim to fame in Marshall is, hi, I'm Mike Nelson, the kindergarten teacher's husband. It's my claim to fame. It opens all the doors. But I'm looking at this. Uh, this is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know, we don't know a lot about Andrew, but what we do see of Andrew in the Gospels is amazing. You know what he's doing every time you hear his name? Bringing somebody to Jesus. We don't see him do anything else. We don't hear any wonderful teaching. We don't hear of him doing miracles. He just goes and brings people to Jesus. Boy, do we need Andrews. Tons of Andrews. So it says, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. What did Andrew do? He had spent time with Jesus. What's his first thought? i got to go tell my brother. This is amazing. I have met the Messiah. And when you look at this whole story, it becomes more amazing. You know, the Middle East, Israel, that part, I'm looking at the clock thinking, how much detail can we go into? But it, Jesus was born in Nazareth. Most of these guys are Bethsaida, right near the Sea of Galilee, 25 miles apart. 
all of this stuff where the baptism, all this stuff is taking place within about, oh, 30, 40 miles. So we, we see these guys, they're fishermen, and, and you can just kind of get the picture. They know each other. Um, and they've probably heard of Jesus because we see they talk about Jesus, Joseph's son. And you wonder, how would we have reacted? But here Andrew is. He has met the Messiah. He spent with the Messiah. And something in him was stirred up just in meeting the Messiah and spending a time with him that he said, I got to go tell my brother. And he didn't just say, I got to go tell him. He went and told him, and then he says he brought him to Jesus. Now, I'd like to see that discussion because we all know Peter's personality if we've studied the Bible at all. Andrew, you idiot. The Messiah? They've been waiting for him for a thousand years, and now you're telling me it's some guy from just 20 miles down the road? You're nuts. We don't know what he said. All he says, I've, I've found him. Come and see. So he gets him, and he takes him to Jesus. He takes him to the one that can transform him. Whatever Andrew had learned, Andrew knew he, he couldn't do anything about Peter. How would you like to have been Peter's brother if you know anything about Peter? I bet you were the little brother who listened to the big brother. Peter was brusque. He was ornery, a little stubborn, really outspoken, take charge kind of guy. And here comes Andrew. Let's go, Peter. There's somebody you got to meet. And notice what happened. God blessed Andrew's obedience, and he blesses Peter for coming. It says before Peter even gets there, there's no formal introductions. What happens? He says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, Peter. That's weird. Never met you before. You know my name. You know my dad's name. But now it really gets weird. You're going to give me a new name? It's such an amazing thing to me to see right here. Jesus speaks to him, knows him, identifies him, and sees him as who he is going to be. He sees the potential in this man who has not yet discovered who Jesus Christ is. We look at people and we start putting them in boxes right away. Jesus looks at him and says, you aren't going to believe what I can do with that person. You aren't going to believe the impact that person can have on lives around the world. You can't believe. He sees. He sees you. He sees me. He sees everyone. So we never know when we are going to have the great privilege to say, come and see to a Peter type of person. And even if they're not a Peter type of person, they're a valuable person in God's eyes and he has a divine destiny for them. And Simon, or Andrew, immediately, I've got to go to my brother and bring him. And he did. And verse 43, the next day, the next day, Jesus is getting up early on the next day, and if you read the next chapter, excuse me, a hundred kids with colds. The next day, he's getting up, he's going to go to a wedding. In Cana of Galilee. Turn some water into wine and have a great time. But before all that takes place, it says he, he gets up and he's purposed to go into Galilee in verse 43. And it says, He found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, 
the same city of Andrew and Peter, located right on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, where they fished and made their living. And as we continue on here in verse 45, Philip went and found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, you were sitting under the fig tree. I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The next day, Jesus found Nathanael, or excuse me, found Philip. Jesus is always looking to find people. Always looking. He finds Philip and says, follow me. And we don't know what took place, but whatever it was, it's like all of a sudden something happened in Philip, and Philip said, I've got to go get Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's a little bit more like most of the people we might say, come and see to. Yeah, right. He's a little skeptical. Now, again, go back to that picture in your mind. They're from by the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is approximately 25 miles away from their hometown. Nothing good comes out of Galilee. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They're the worst Jews there ever were. You know, it's kind of like the rivalry between RTR and Tracy. And nothing good comes out of that place. This is the prejudice he had instantly. Nothing good can come from there. What does Philip do? Did he enter into a debate? Did he start telling him when Jesus was going to return the second time? When we were going to be raptured? What did he do? Nothing except say, come and see. Come and see. Lead him to Jesus, the one who can change everything. He brings him to Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He didn't give up. He didn't go into a debate. He just said, come and see. And when he brings him, Jesus does what only Jesus can do. Changed his thinking, blew away all his prejudices in just a matter of moments. He simply says, uh, tells, tells Nathaniel what he saw. Your name is Nathaniel. There's no guile in your heart. And you were sitting under a tree. And Nathaniel's just blown away and says, You are the Son of God, King of the Jews. Simply by pointing him to Jesus, Philip has been part of changing Nathaniel's life forever. When we bring people to Jesus, we get the great privilege and blessing to see God work through us here on earth. Come and see evangelism. Come and see. When we look at this type of evangelism, it doesn't seem like it's hard enough. It's not hard, it's simple. As I said, I see more of that in this body than any of the other forms that we might talk about. 
But I want to just give us a few pointers on how we can maybe become a little bit more effective at this type of evangelism. Before I started, I was asking you to think of somebody in your, in your family or in your sphere of influence that would need to know Jesus. Have a prospect. Have somebody in mind. We all have people like that in mind. And we come up with a million excuses why we don't want to say anything. It's like the, the two guys in the video. And here they are, lifelong buddies practically, making all these funny video skits about, about everything, Christian. Making fun of just about everything. And how did they get together? He calls up his buddy who is in the back of the grocery store where he's working cutting up carrots and says, you want to go to church? They're serving pizza. That's pretty scary evangelism, isn't it? And he says, yes. Imagine that. He says, yes. What would have happened if you said no? Nothing. You just invited him to come. You and I invite people to do things all the time. Is it devastating and are you crushed and destroyed forever when they say no? Heck no. You ask him again when you have a chance. But he said yes. And then the guy, he's got his buddy with him in church and he's probably sitting there thinking, boy, he's going to think I set him up. He's gonna, who knows what he's thinking? I know the fears I would go through and have gone through when you invite somebody to church. What if some idiot speaks in tongues out loud? They're going to run out the door. Like God doesn't know who's there, right? What did the guy do? He says the greatest prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do here. He's a mess. He needs Jesus. Change his heart, will you? And then he gets that look on his face. I just love it. And he says, then he answered my prayer. Imagine that. Jesus answering a prayer to soften somebody's heart so they might accept him. And the guy says, I don't remember what the preacher talked about. I don't remember anything. I don't remember what songs we sang. I remember we had pizza. But I met Jesus that night, and he changed my life forever. Because his college buddy said, come and see. Have a prospect. Who do you and I know that you can just say, hey, come and see. Come and check it out. We all have that somebody. And then the second thing we need to do is remember who we're referring them to. A person. Jesus. We may need to invite them to a church. We may want to set up a time with some people where they can talk to somebody to answer their questions. That's all well and good. But who we're really referring people to is the one who can change a life and transform a life. Jesus. So we need to always remember who we're leading people to. Come and see. Simple script. Everybody say that. Ready? One, two, three. Come and see. How do you like that? You memorized the whole script. Come and see. That's all. Come and see. What are you going to do there? I don't know. Come and check it out. I sometimes add, we're going to be a little different than you might be used to, but come and see. Come and see. John the Baptist pointed him out. He said, there he is. Go see. Andrew met Jesus, went to his brother and said, come and see. Philip went to Nathaniel, said, come and see. If it's good enough for those guys, it's good enough for me. It's the same Jesus. And let him do his things. And thirdly, remember why we do this. Well, the no-brainer here is, first of all, it's commanded by God. We're to go and make disciples. And if we love the Lord, we want to be obedient to the Lord. 
But the, really, the, the, the other reason is, one of the other reasons is, Jesus is the only way. Think of the people you know that are miserable and what they're looking to to try to get them out of their misery. They're looking to things that are more self-destructive. Tearing their life apart. Destroying their lives. We need to take them to Jesus, the only thing that can truly change their life. We see this here. Peter, this, this guy named Simon becomes Peter. This pretty rough fisherman becomes the Peter of the New Testament church. Sinners become saints. Drug addicts, alcoholics become sober. Marriages headed for divorce become whole and healed. All of these things, prostitutes can become pure and clean. The most promiscuous lifestyle can receive forgiveness and be pure and holy in the sight of God. All of this because Jesus changes lives. And I can stand up here and look out there, and most of you that know me know my story. Jesus changed our lives. We were drunks and drug addicts, bad relationships, living for the world, looking to quench that thirst that we didn't know what could do it. And somebody... Somebody said, I'm sorry, my, my somebody sitting in the back of the church... Dan looked at me and said, come and see. I thought you guys were nuts. <laughs> he didn't argue, didn't debate. You know I didn't want to lose those. He just said, come and see. If Jesus has done that in our lives. How can we not look at somebody else and say, come and see. It should be as natural as breathing evangelism. It shouldn't be this scary thing. It shouldn't be this freaky thing. You can, whatever God calls you to do, go do it. Praise God. But for all the rest of us, just come and see. God changed my life. I want to introduce you to Jesus. And I guarantee you, if they discover Jesus, their life will change. It will change. There's a room full of it right here. Come and see evangelism. Simple. It's not scary. We can all do it. It's relational. It's people you know. People who know you. Come and see. Jesus changed your life. What name has come to your mind that you can go and say, come and see. Come and check it out. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And God, you offer him up as a gift to every single one of us to accept his death on a cross instead of mine. That I can receive the forgiveness of sins and be restored to relationship with you. God, I, I pray that each one of us that know you as our Lord and Savior, spread the good news. 
Lord, I pray against that spirit of fear that comes on us when it comes to sharing our faith. Lord, I pray we would just be able to say, come and see. Come and check it out. Lord, we thank you that as we look all around us, we don't have to go very far to find people and opportunities. I pray you would give us a holy boldness bathed in your love that we could lead other people to discover who you are. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are faithful to your word. And what was true 2,000 years ago is true today. That you will change lives. And you're the only thing. You're the only thing that can transform a life. Give new life where there has been death. Forgive us for being selfish and not sharing what you've done with us. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we will have those divine moments every day where we might be able to say, come and see. Come and check this thing out. And Lord, we just trust you to do your work in every heart. And Lord, now I also ask that you would bless each one that's here. Watch over them. Keep them safe. Even today as they go home this week, God, guard their footsteps every day. Give them favor in their places of work. Just be with them. Bless them. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. Amen.